you've tuned into all things fine and gentry with the connoisseur french thompson where consistently we bring you ideas concepts and exposure to thoughtful content lifestyle enhancements and opportunities to improve yourself and those around you thank you for tuning in and taking a listen to this week's episode Welcome, welcome, welcome back to all things fine and gentry. This is the connoisseur of French Thompson, and I'm so grateful for each and every one of you all for choosing to uh, tune in today and listen, whichever platform you are listening on, podcast, on the website, uh, however you are consuming this content, just thank you for taking the time today. And to uh, those that are returning listeners, the connoisseurs, glad that you have uh, been along this journey with me and all of the guests that we've had along the lines. And if this is your first time, well, welcome, welcome. We would love if you would like, share, subscribe, follow, uh, rate, review on whichever platform you're listening on. It helps me and my guests know that you've enjoyed or in some ways maybe not have enjoyed the content that we put out here. But regardless, we are appreciative of each and every one of you all for for tuning in. So we're going to get right into it because I um, am not the type of person that enjoys podcasts and have a lot of introduction. All that said, we just completed our Superwoman series, and we've had uh, a dynamic time of uh, listening to uh, women in all uh, stages and steps and, and phases of their life kind of share with us the experiences and challenges and um, and victories that they've had along the way, and uh, essentially pretty much telling us that they're not done yet. But that's all well and good. Nothing against the ladies, but it is now time for the fellas. And uh, we are kicking off this series, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Uh, I'm excited about this one. I have a lot of great uh, guests that will be tuned in here, but no better way than to start off this uh, series than having a conversation with my father, who, by the way, is also named French. But uh, welcome to the podcast, Dad, French F. Thompson, Jr., Hey, thank you so much for having me. Oh, I appreciate you taking the time. And we are you know, also have a double uh, benefit or double pleasure of being able to record this on Father's Day. So it's a it's kind hey, of a, a, a double a, a double blessing here. So we're going to dig right into it. So um, as uh, as you all know, I give my, my guests an opportunity to kind of quickly introduce themselves and then we, we dig right into it. Um, so, Dad, just kind of just give it a brief introduction, uh, emphasis on brief. Um, about kind of where you're from, um, kind of where did you go to school, uh, and then kind of where you live now. We're kind of we're going to kind of dig into all different phases of your life, so you don't have to kind of give too much of a of a debrief of who you are, but kind of where you're from and and what where are you now? Uh, from uh, originally from Indianapolis, Indiana. That's where I was born. I spent uh, my early childhood from about uh, maybe one to six in uh, Newport, Rhode Island. Hmm. And uh, that's another story right there. Uh, but we moved back to Indianapolis, Indiana, and that's where I spent um, uh, most of my uh, younger childhood until going to college. I uh, currently reside, uh, reside in Fort Worth, Texas, um, and it's hot. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking to someone uh, this week who was down in Houston. Actually, it was yesterday. Uh, was it Saturday or or Friday? And um, I just told them that Texas plus heat equals death, and so it's just uh, it gets hot in Texas, and and it, it can get a little crazy. Um, all right, so uh, 
let's just kind of dig into it. Um, he spoke about from being in Indianapolis. And I'll tell you one of my early memories I have of us uh, all together was um, you. We used to go back to to Indianapolis often for holidays and things like that. But I remember I think we were kind of old enough to kind of perceive where we were. And you drove us around your your old neighborhood. And uh, Emerald and I were kind of like, oh, this is um, uh, this is an up and coming place, but uh, <laughs> not really. Uh, it was kind of like, hey, man, you, you, you grew up in a uh, in the hood. And I'm sure that when you were growing up there, you didn't really feel that way. But, um, you know, what was it like kind of growing up in Indianapolis back in the 50s and 60s? Yeah, well, it was really funny on that that you said that. Could you say, "Oh, Daddy, we're <laughs> trying to get you to get out of the car to go into one of the mom and pop shops?" I said, "No, you lived in the ghetto." <laughs> but as you said, uh, it wasn't feeling like that back in the day when we was growing up. I think it was kind of like a middle class neighborhood. Mm. Um, as I said, uh, you know, was born and raised there. We spent a little time in uh, Newport, Rhode Island, as I was growing up. And then when we came back, that was about the time I was going to enter into elementary school, uh, maybe kindergarten. And uh, because I spent so much time in uh, uh, Newport, Rhode Island, I grew up with the New England accent. Mm. And there wasn't very many Blacks in the Midwest or the Indianapolis area that talked like this and had that kind of a New England accent. <laughs> and so when I went to school... Uh, they put me in a speech class. Oh, wow. Because I didn't talk like all you know, the black guys. <laughs> so uh, my mother was furious, but they finally graduated me when I was saying this, that, and those. So uh, <laughs> it was uh, when I started talking like them, then I was okay. But uh, yes, it was a black neighborhood. Uh, we had black schools, black businesses. Um, it was this area. Um, it, that, and, and when I was small, it seemed like it was big, but it was kind of like a small area. But we, like I said, we had barbershops, uh, beauty parlors, ice cream parlors, uh, movie theaters. Uh, it was all black owned and run. Right. Uh, most of our schools had black teachers in them. And at that time did not know, uh, even with the uh, elementary schools, that these were well, well educated black people and they cared for their students. Uh, but they couldn't teach anywhere else in the late 50s and early 60s. So mm. uh, some of these had PhDs and masters and they had to teach in elementary schools. That's interesting. Um, so, you know, you clearly you, know, you grew up in essentially right during the civil rights movement. But, you know, pre I would call it pre pre integration. Right. So you're still in segregated society, et cetera. Um, you know, it, it is kind of interesting because we are you know, 60 years later, plus kind of looking at, um, you know, the next phase of, of kind of what that was like there. But as you were kind of growing up, did you feel that you didn't have, right? I mean, did, was, did you feel that there was lack or were you kind of, did you all collectively kind of feel like, hey, we are, we're good where we are. We enjoy having our own. I mean, what was, what was that like? As a child, really didn't know you only know what you what you see and what you're accustomed to uh economically our family wasn't really all that well off uh, financially but we did you know it was a neighborhood where all the aunts and uncles and cousins lived in the same little area so it helped each other out my grandfather um uh was kind of like the patriot of the family and even though he had a small maybe three bedroom 
house, but he had a big backyard, at least to a child, yeah. with all the type of things growing up at the gardens and things of that sort. But as you're saying, talking about the uh, it's, during his late 50s and early 60s, um, there was that racial tension that was there. And I think my parents experienced it a little bit more than we did as kids. Uh, they didn't teach us mm. what was going on, even though we saw a little bit what was going on on television and things of that sort. I had to experience it for myself. And um, um, I remember, um, I don't know how old I was, but I do remember a cross burning. Mm. It was one of our major uh, parks that we had, we Golden Hill Parks. And um, I remember that specifically because I used to be into the Boy Scouts, Cub Scouts, and we would go over there to do the uh, uh, the derby races. You built your own little right, go-karts right. and you run them down the hill and everything like that. But that was during the day. Uh, Indianapolis uh, wasn't a sundown town, but it was close to it. Mm. So uh, when I was little, uh, and I do remember that cross because up on near there was a Dairy Queen. And uh, if it was uh, about dusk, and you could see over there in the park what that was, but I didn't know what it was until I was later uh, introduced about what the Klan was and everything like with, about that. Um, one of the things that was really interesting is that most of the Black history I did learn was in the church. Mm. And um, there was a lot of rich history in Indianapolis, case in point. Uh, a lot of the places that we would go or to go to the movies and uh, get our haircuts and things of that sort was the Madam C.J. Walker mm. building. Yeah. Um, and that was not too far from my church. Bethel AME Church was a historical church, especially with the Underground Railroad. But I didn't know the significance of the Madam C.J. Walker um, building complex until I was in college and read it in history. Oh, wow. Wow. So it was, you just kind of just... It was a part of your everyday life. And yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yep. So, you know, post elementary, I remember you kind of, you know, sharing stories about, you know, in, in, uh, integration. And I remember you pretty much said that you were one of the first groups of students that got bused to one of the, the white high schools in, uh, in Indianapolis um, post integration. Um, what, what was that like? I mean, I know you shared. Oh, that yeah, go ahead. Yeah, that was an eye-opener. That was when I really understood. Like I said, you saw stuff on television, but that's distant. Mm. When you get it personally and up front, it is, it is something else. Now, I will say there was hints that was going on. Um, um, I would stand on the bus stop to go from here to there or whatever, and the bus would pass me by. Yeah. You know, I had to run down to the next one, and it passed me by. You know, I could run pretty fast back in those days. So, you know, um, and I didn't realize what was going on. They let me on the bus. I'm hot, and breathing hard and everything like that. So there was little hints uh, when I would, uh, was working downtown with my father and I get my check and I would go into the bank and um, they would have to check all this, check all that. And I'm young. I don't have all these ID things. Yeah. So I had to open up an account. Um, in order to get the money. And I remember specifically one time they gave me $20 bill, $50 bill, it wasn't a lot of money, but went to the store with a $50 bill and they wouldn't let hmm. me buy what I was buying because they said a young man would, should not have that kind of money. So there was hints. But to your point, um, when I went to high school, that was the first time uh, they started this in 1967, busing. Yeah. My sisters and cousins and everybody else, we could all walk to all the schools, including the high schools that was in the area. But they bust us over there, 
and um, they were. It was just like on television. They were all lined up, parents and uh, kids and everything like that, going through the gauntlet. The police was out there, and they were throwing rocks and spitting on us and everything like that. And I didn't know what was going on, mm. you know. Um, but I learned quickly. Uh, it was about racism. Yeah. It was about racism. Now there was a caveat to this because I lived on the west side of town, and we had. Uh, competition, putting it gently, uh, with the east side of town, as far as you know, people not mixing together well across yeah. the tracks. Yeah. So they bust us in here together on that same time. So now we're dealing with not only with the white racism, but the different sides of town. Got it. Um, yeah, yeah. And it wasn't gangs; it was just you're not from the east side, you're not from the west side type of thing. Mm. So um, I, I got, like I said, I got a quick education on that. Uh, the first week I was suspended for um, supposedly looking up the teacher's dress. Hmm. Um, you know, just bogus things like that. Well, how, how did that? How did that shape your perception of of white people? Um, and then, how did your your parents try to balance that in you? As far as like, hey, you know, either reinforced it or try to counterbalance your experiences and, and kind of what you started to formulate in your mind? Well, when explained to them what was happening, in my memory, they weren't as uh, descriptive on how to do and how to deal with it as we were with you mm. and, 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 you know, with our kids. Mm-hmm. Um, um, they would just say, be careful. This is how you should act. Uh, in this kind of situation, my father wasn't that, you know, I, I as a black man, him growing up, he, he was very, very resentful mm. for a lot of the things. So, um, but my mom was a little bit more, um, you know, pray, prayerful with us and just trying to tell us, okay, this is how you act. But they still didn't say, don't trust them. Don't do this. Don't mm. that, you know, uh, they didn't, they didn't do that. At least not where I can remember. They may have done that with my sisters, but not with me. So, um, you grew up with, it was three sisters and you, and you were the youngest. Um, and like you said, they, they went to the black schools. You were the first one to kind of essentially take an alternate path. What, what was that like? Um, did you feel that you, because you were kind of going down this different path and different experience that there were some things that you just couldn't share or they couldn't help walk you through? Did you feel that you were kind of, you know, figuring this out on your own and let's hang out with the guys in the neighborhood and figure it out. Or did, did they kind of try to empathize with you with, with kind of what this new world was, was opening up to be? I was going to say Trey, but no, Trey. no, it's fine. Cause look, look <laughs> yeah, mom's yeah. been on the podcast. Yeah. Emma's been on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Shorty um, calls me Trey too. So we're good. <laughs> oh, that's a new one there. Yeah. <laughs> Cause he's, he's never done that. But yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't remember my sister's, kind of mentoring me on that um and it may be because because there was there, there was some white kids that was busted into their school shortly uh, but it wasn't it wasn't with the it wasn't the impact yeah. i mean our, our high school had maybe in back in the day about a couple thousand people we were like 30 yeah you know 30 so it grew over the years mm-hmm. um but i think it was a figuring out how to deal with this with the neighborhood guys mm. Um, more so than it was. And there was a balance because, uh, as I said, I was very active in the church. And uh, even after school, 
uh, we would go to the church and we would have other activities kind of take your mind off of what was going on there, yeah. as well as, you know, uh, Cub Scouts, Boy Scouts. Well, at that time, I'm in Boy Scouts. Um, so that kind of balanced things out. I got interested in ROTC. So that was a good thing because it was during the Vietnam War mm. uh, era at that time. And I wanted to go, you know, but I got good at that as well as I like to sing. So I was in the in the choir uh, at high school and uh, learned a lot of uh, white music. <laughs> <laughs> but I like music. So, you know, you know that. So I appreciated the art history that was there. I played uh, instrument, violin and the horns, uh, clarinet, uh, trumpet, uh, the French horn. <laughs> you know, and uh, so I learned a lot about their culture. Um, even at one time, uh, went out on a date. I think it was during my junior year uh, with a, uh, a white a white girl. So um, how did that? It end? was it was uh, it was okay. Their parents were okay while I was there. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a long lasting type of thing. You know, it was just a one time. I think we might have went to the or something like that or went skating back in the day bowling and skating was a big thing that you did and went to the movies um but um uh it was different it was different so um i want to bounce back to to your father you kind of said that he was uh kind of resentful for things that was going on um and i know you 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 had an interesting relationship with your father um kind of explain a little bit more as to why you felt that you know what what caused him to kind of be resentful or, or frustrated or, or however you would like to describe? Well, um, most black men back in the day, 40s, 50s, and 60s, had a, uh, a limited exposure or a limited uh, idea of what a man is supposed to be, especially a black man. And of course, now you deal with that, with the racism that's out there and the mm -hmm. lack of ability to be able to provide for your family because uh, not understanding what was going on uh, my mother and my father was only surviving to provide. Yeah. Uh, so with a lot of the mentorship, like this is how you do it, this is what you don't do, you know, ten, you know, telling you when you come across an officer, you're supposed to not look at him and, you know, you're not driving at that point, but, you know, how you're supposed to act. We didn't get all that. Uh, my father, um, and I found this out a little bit later on because he wasn't that much of a good father. He was a, uh, uh, well, a parent. Mm. Uh, he wasn't much of a, uh, a good father figure. Uh, and uh, I, I consider that, uh, what did he have to deal with? But this is after I'm an adult. Mm. He was from um, Alabama, and uh, he, he was one of three. He had two sisters, and he was, I think, in the middle, yes. And uh, I think after my grandfather uh, had, uh, uh, my grandmother passed away, Grandfa uh, grandmother Tina had passed away, and uh, the grandfather sent them to Indianapolis where Tina's sisters were. Mm. And he was very young. And from what the story is being told by my, uh, my aunt down in Florida, Aunt Clara, she would say that they kind of tagged them and put them on the train. No adult was with them. Mm. And so when they got up there, um, I think that it was um, not an ideal situation with the, uh, with the family, with the, with the uh, aunts and stuff like that. So allegedly he wasn't treated well. And I don't know about Aunt, uh, aunt uh, Catherine, um, uh, cause he, she was the oldest one, but he wasn't treated well. So there's one caveat right there. Yeah. Um, he didn't grow up with his parents. He grew up under an environment of people that probably did not really want to take care of him. Mm. And, and then dealing with, as you grow up, uh, with the racism piece. Now he went into the war, he was with World War II. And I understand that that was a rocky situation there too, but he, he did get his, 
uh, honorable discharge, and uh, that was a good thing. But coming back home and trying to be a a father is one that can just have children. Yeah, 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 a parent yeah. is somebody that can lead and guide and, and mentor them into uh, throughout the life. And he wasn't really good at that because he didn't have the tools. To yeah. Do it. Yeah, which most black men back in the day. I mean, my uncles really didn't even have that. They just, again, was doing what they could to provide to survive. So, so how did you find mentorship in 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 that lack? Was it at church? Was it some of the men in the community? What? How did you find, or did you, while you know, call it adolescence? Well, it was like I said with the uh, Cub Scouts, Boy Scouts, in the church. Uh, there were men in the church that we had youth programs that um, we didn't have a rites of passage that I know of, but there was still some mentorship that was there. Uh, there was a couple of fathers in our second neighborhood because we grew up on 28th Street in the West Side, uh, where it was most of the our aunts and uncles and everything like that, and mm. they were all kind of like in the same boat with my dad. Um, Domestic violence was a regular and normal thing back in the day. Hmm. Uh, even if you called the police, uh, they would just make sure everything is fine. They didn't arrest the person. Uh, you had to, because most women wouldn't even uh, press charges. Hmm. And if they did, then, you know, it's going to be a nasty thing once they get out. Yeah. So that's why they didn't do it. So when we moved from uh, 28th Street to Boulevard Place, which was a little bit better neighborhood, and that's just after dad was gone. Um, there's visitations and things of that sort, but it was a little bit better. And there was a couple of uh, uh, families there that had this nucleus family, you yeah, know, the mother, yeah. the father, the biological, and, you know, went to work and came home. And a couple of them, the mothers were stay-at-home mothers and that sort. And then, of course, we had television. <laughs> Fathers knows the best, leave it the beaver, you know, those yeah. kind of shows. Uh, so uh, that was an impact. Got it. All right, so let's let's pivot to to uh, college. So you went to Lincoln University. What did you study when you went to Lincoln? I was a psychology major and military science minor. So, what were you thinking you were going to do? <laughs> now, so that's a good question because I was so. Um, um, let me back up about the Lincoln University piece. Yeah, uh, and I told you about Bethel. Um, being uh, a major church. Re how I was introduced in Lincoln University, which is the HBCU, by the way, uh, was that throughout the years growing up, the Lincoln University Choir, Concert Choir, would come to um, Bethel in order to kind of raise money for their choir and mm. things of that sort. And those were the days you couldn't stay in hotels very you know, much. Yeah. So they stayed, a lot of them stayed at our house. So I learned a lot about college or college life or listening to the young ladies because it was always the ladies mm -hmm. and then after after francis went there her sorority sisters would be the, some part of the choir's name stay there so i was um i was uh, attracted to go to lincoln university because i knew i had to get out of the streets yeah. of indianapolis um so um i i liked that change of scene because i knew that i was not going to grow had i stayed where i was mm. Mm. Yeah. So, so uh, I got, as I said, I did uh, ROTC in high school. I got pretty good at uh, uh, drill team, you, you know, the little bra rods yeah. shooting, uh, uh, you know, spinning the rifles, uh, won uh, local and city and state championships. I was very, very good in um, sharp shooting with the rifle. Um, spent a lot of time on the range with that and got very good, not only in uh, high school, but also in college. And as, uh, as a result, especially in high school, we didn't have the proper gear and I have a, a death deficiency in my right ear. But um, 
it was it was it was a good experience, you know, both in high school and in college with ROTC. Uh, it, it developed my leadership skills and also how to be a man within that organized uh, environment. Right. So 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 you're at you're at Lincoln. You um, psychology and military science. Did you think that you were going to go just straight into the military, or did you think right. something else? Right. Right. So I, I did. I left out that part. That's how I went around the, the block on that. One. So, yeah, because of what I was seeing in Indianapolis, I wanted to do some type of counseling mm. to young adults. And um, after I found out, because I was a no major for um, forever, almost, you know, but <laughs> it, it might have been maybe just a year. But um, uh, I found I, 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 I wanted to give something back. Yeah. And so uh, that's when I started getting into psychology and studying the stuff of some of the black psychologists, uh, uh, Francis Welsing and all of them, you know, and it was very, very impression upon me. And my thought process was, is that I would get this degree and be able to um, start counseling. But mm. I found out in order to make any kind of money, not only do you get a, a, a bachelor's degree, but you also got to get a master's, you got to write books you gotta you know uh, do you know travel around and that versus what i really wanted to do with rltc the, the military seemed a lot more simple <laughs> <laughs> seemed a whole lot more simple you know than what i was doing there but um it the, the studies helped me understand people and their personalities yeah so um during college right during this early adulthood phase and we're gonna get kind of to military as well but I mean, you kind of took on three challenges, right? And I would, you know, people mature and, you know, learn and grow in college and things like that. But you kind of like went triple uh, X on this thing. Um, you you pledged Omega, mm-hmm. right? You, you know, essentially went into the Army, became an Airborne Ranger. And then you also, you know, became a Freemason and hit the 32nd degree, right? You it's Pretty much for the, for those that are listening on here, those are kind of some of the not some of the is the t- some of the toughest things that you can do right in, in each of those those spheres. Uh, back in the day when you're you know pledging a fraternity, like it, it wasn't as uh, uh, I don't call it as simple as it is now because it still isn't simple, but it was a little bit more tedious I would probably say <laughs> for your process. But the you know, same thing as far as you know the army, you're almost essentially special forces, and then. Being a, a Freemason, um, I mean, you only really have one more degree above thirty second. Uh, so, kind of explain what, what, what craziness were you on to decide to kind of dive into all of those different endeavors and, and kind of growing there. Well, when I got to Lincoln, um, you you know all the Greek fraternities and sororities were there, and you got an opportunity to see all of them do their thing yeah. and learn about what they were. I went to all of the uh, smokers, as they call it back in the day, uh, not only for Omega, but Alpha and Phi Beta and Kappa and all of that. Uh, my uh, my brother-in-law that was married to Francis uh, George was an Omega. Mm. Um, and so that was an influence right there because he seemed like a nice gentleman. The other side was is that uh, the Omegas could march pretty good, and I was real good at that with ROTC. <laughs> so uh, you know that kind of yeah, kind of got to me. So, but it, it was it was also seeking brotherhood. Yeah. I was you know I, I I was the only boy, only brothers I really had was ones I grew up with, mm. and uh, in in the streets of, of uh, Indianapolis, and also with the church. 
And uh, so I was seeking some type of uh, brotherhood, which I did find. Yeah. So um, when it came to the ROTC and uh, some of the things with the Airborne Ranger, a lot of that was done while I was in Lincoln, mm. at Lincoln. Um, they saw something in me and some uh, other um, um, ROTC cadets, and they put us in a special program mm. that was accelerated that during the summer, instead of going home for summer, uh, I think it was like 72, 73, there was two summers they took me to uh, airborne school and and uh, and uh, ranger school and uh, survival school and things of that sort. And um, that was really, really great because it prepared me for the short time that I did do as far as active duty. But a lot of that, I, when I was in active duty, was mostly administrative. It wasn't actually doing the jumping and everything all that was in college yeah uh and i'm glad and i'm glad because i was a little bit younger then and uh things of that sort <laughs> after college um the masonry thing came because at our church quinn chapel ame church we had a lot of masons there mm. and some of those were very big officers within the local uh, uh house mm. uh, that was there and a lot of my uncles and my grandfather were um Masons. Oh, wow. So I knew about I knew about masonry as well as at Bethel. Um, so, um, but I didn't know the indebtedness. Mm. So once I um, went along with one of my line brothers, Aaron, uh, that plays Omega with me, and then another guy that's an alpha, we did our first three degrees and make you a master mason. Mm. And uh, then they invited us to go to the next houses, uh, as far as and that took about a month. Um, to or a month and a half in order to go through from the third degree up to the 32nd. You, you, you don't talk a lot about this, this kind of phase in your life, not necessarily that it's, you know, um, secretive or anything like that. You know, we kind of hear the stories on the periphery of your experiences in the military, your experience with, with Omega, uh, as well as, as, you know, masonry, you know, what was that like for you? Um, kind of growing up, right? I mean, you so say you were you were seeking brotherhood, you know, mentorship, you know, all these types of things. How formative were those three experiences on the way that you started to see the world, uh, as well as defining who you were as a man? It it definitely helped me develop, especially with the principles of Omega Sci Fi, mm -hmm. which kind of any fraternal order, yeah, any fraternal order has principles and and luckily it's spiritually based yeah so except for the military uh but with 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 the fraternity and with uh with masonry it was spiritually based so that fell along with my spirit uh with the with the military it was that there was that order uh it was that uh, uh complicity of this is how you do it uh, this is what you're going to do. This is how you do it. And this is what you did. Yeah. You know, and it taught me to be a leader um, um, and being able to understand not only how to lead, but how to teach people to lead. Mm. So <clears throat> if, if you if you could think about like one nugget from each, right, you kind of spoke about from the military, the order side. But if there was one thing that you look back and take away from be it uh, Omega or uh, Freemasonry, you know, what, what would be one from, from each of those that will, that kind of stuck with you and you kind of carry with you along the way? Well, there's a, there's principles. Um, you don't have to within, share principles because I don't want you to get beat up by, by your brother. No, 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 no. <laughs> you, you'll hear this all the time with Omega. 
is that friendship is essential to the soul. Mm. And so, as we know, even with our spiritual learning is that, you know, you, you, they talk about friendship yeah. and, uh, and, and, and working with each other and loving each other. Um, and then there's other, the community services things that the, that the uh, fraternity did as well as what masonry did. Mm-hmm. Now masonry was a little bit because they did get into the biblical principles mm-hmm. a lot more. And I did a lot of growth, especially coming from the uh, master mason up to the 32nd about learning about not only about myself, but some of the things that were in the Bible that helped me grow as a man. Mm. And I pray and hope that I was able to um, emulate that with some of the things that I did, not only as a man, but as a husband and as a parent and as a community, uh, not activist, but yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. a person yeah, that worked active in the community. community. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Interesting. All right, so kind of rounding it out, right? Um, kind of in, in, in the parenting phase of your life. Um, what were some of the greatest challenges that you faced as a father? And then I, and I, would, and I would kind of bracket it between, you look at those challenges, what, what, were, what was an expected challenge? And then what did you find to be an unexpected challenge that you saw? As far as being a father or a parent? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, um, my first experience as a father and parent was uh, was unexpected. Yeah, because I was out there doing things I shouldn't have done, mm-hmm. and so my oldest son wasn't it was out of wedlock. Mm. So I was forced somewhat to grow up yeah. into uh, parenting and fatherhood, um, and I got my life together and uh, was able to marry uh, my wife for currently forty plus years, and we waited before we started having our children. We waited about three or four years so we can learn ourselves. Mm. Um, so uh, when we started having children, um, it was a little bit more, since I had a little bit more experience in, uh, at that time with, with Anson, the older son, but, um, and, and Linda was ready. But so we, we, we were a little bit more ready at that time in order to do the things. Now, um, did we know about, a lot about parenting. Well, you babysit it a little <laughs> bit. You know, you had experience with your cousins that are younger and everything like that. But nothing can compare can prepare you for what what parenting and being a father is until you actually experience it. Right. And you have to base off what you're doing off of what you've had in the past. Now, then and I discussed that, and we understood that neither one of us had. I won't say an ideal mm-hmm. upbringing, but we took the best of what we had in order to apply it to what we was working with. Yeah, yeah, that's good. What, um, so like you said, I mean, there, there's things that you experienced or things that even you saw for your siblings and those that have listened to the podcast and go back about four episodes and listen to my mom talk about her upbringing. So you, know, you, you can kind of get her perspective on there. But, you know, were there any... Um, unexpected uh surprises like as you as you made your way along there that you were like oh i did not anticipate this or things that you were like you know what lord you you could at least drop something in the holy spirit to prepare me for for this right in regards to parenting uh and fatherhood so kind of as you as you take a step back right you have all grown children and now grandchildren as you take a step back what were some of those things that you're like oh man this was a an, an amazing surprise versus the other side of the like, you know, Lord, take me now. I'm ready to go. <laughs> well, as a, as a, as growing up as a 
as a young parent with young kids, you're learning every day. Yeah. You know, you're learning every day. And then there was that thing that says, I can't wait. You know, I'm changing diapers and I'm fixing food and stuff. And you're, dad, 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 what about that? You know, and I say, can't wait till you, till you can talk and you can articulate with me and we can converse and everything like that. Then when that happened, I'm saying, well, you shut up, you know, <laughs> <laughs> because it's why, why is this? Why is this? Your mind is like a sponge. Yeah. But in turn, we as parents have to grow in order to respond to that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And it's at different levels. Girls do it differently or grow differently or convey things, their thoughts differently than, than what boys do. Yeah. Yeah. That's real. All right. So, so on the back end here, um, you know, we, we can, we can, we could go a whole thing about career paths and things like that, but I kind of want to go to where you are now, right? You're, you're in retirement mode. Um, I first just ask, you know, just for the record, because we talk, you know, about it often, but how's it feel to be retired? Like, I mean, as, as I am, you know, be it halfway through my career now, at least a traditional career, which you know, people consider like, you know, at least 30 years or so, um, you, you kind of start talking, you know, thinking towards, you know, the, the, the light at the end of the tunnel for per se. But um, now that you're on the other end of it, like, how does it feel to be retired? Is it when you, when you look at, you know, kind of, you know, sitting back and, and throwing your feet up now. I mean, is it, I won't say, is it what you expected? Cause you know, unfortunately you and mom retired in COVID, which is completely, you know, not what most people, you know, look, look for to literally sit in your house. But, um, you know, what, what has retirement meant for you? Maybe it's the better question. Oh, it's wonderful, but <laughs> I had to get used to it. Mm -hmm. I had to get used to it. Um, um, even though both Lynn and I were planning toward retirement, I didn't know what that looked like for me. Mm. Uh, I enjoyed my job. Uh, you know, as you know, I spent, um, 30 plus years in the hospitality industry. Mm. Prior to that, I was an entrepreneur with insurance brokerage and doing all kinds of other things. But when I finally got my feet settled in the Washington DC area, it was hospitality industry. So started off, uh, at a small hotel and, um, DuPont Plaza Hotel, not too far from the Zeta headquarters mm -hmm. and the famous DuPont area. And then um, went to another hotel um, and I'll ask the Lord to bless me with uh, being to work with a, a, a world known mm. hospitality industry. And that's how I started with Marriott and spent um, 20 plus years with them. But as we started getting older and you all grew up and got out of high school and went into college and started getting married, that's when we really started concentrating what is French and Linda going to look like. And so I liked what I did, even though it was very stressful. So retirement wasn't in my radar, even though, you know, your mother's very astute. So mm -hmm. she was looking at that no matter what was happening. So then we got this invitation from our youngest son saying, hey, you know, it's stressful in the D.C. area. Why don't you come on down here to Fort Worth? See, be closer to your grandkids. We said, hmm, okay. <laughs> and so <laughs> we made that happen. Now, what, 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 what happened on that is that um, I think I had come up off uh, on my 20th year, either in 2016 or even 2017. Uh, I think it was 2017. And um, they weren't allowing me to work my remote, even though they had work mm -hmm. positions uh, in Texas. So I said, okay, I looked at my 401k. I looked, talked it over with Linda. I said, shoot, I can make this work. 
even though I still didn't know what that's going to look like. Yeah. And it worked out because we needed that time off, at least I did, in order to, um, you know, make the move, get here, get everything settled. Linda was still working. She was able to get a, a job here at the uh, Fort Worth area. So she was only home for like a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. And then she had to go back to work. So the rest was uh, was on me, and uh, which was fine. So I was busy getting the house in order yeah. as well as doing some work with our consulting business that we have on the sign, doing leadership uh, workshops uh, and, 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 uh, and events for um, uh, faith-based organizations. Right. So uh, we had a major one that was coming up and um, I had a lot of time in order to, for to that to work. So, yeah. So, so, yeah, so, yeah, so, so, so the timing worked as to where you, you weren't necessarily sitting at home twiddling your thumbs. Yeah. 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 Uh, um, but now that, you know, you're kind of settled and, you know, I'm sure COVID kind of, uh, you know, re reorient some things for you guys, you know, what, what does, as you look towards this, right, all the things that you've done, like what, what does retirement look like for you towards the future, right? Is it more now that, you know, the world's open back up and more travel or, you know, what's, what are you looking forward to as you, you know, round out the, the, you know, you know, this phase of your life? Doing what I want to do, when I want to do it, and how I want to do it. That's putting it very simple, you know. And and and, and that includes my church work, yeah. my fraternity work, you know. Uh, oh, I did get my life membership. Nice. Uh, so yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. So um, I'll be getting back involved because I'm part of the grad, the grand chapter, and everything like that. But um, I regulate a little bit better now than I did before because I felt I was obligated. Mm. And now I can, I, I, I regulate it and don't feel bad about not about saying no. That's good. That's good. All right. So last so, week, go on, ahead. The other, on the other side though, because we have this free time and then this is now retired too. Oh yeah. We got cruises set up. We got issues <laughs> going to Mexico later on this year. <laughs> you know, we got, you know, we, we, we're, we're going to do our thing, you know? Yeah. So, that's good. All right. So, so, there's a few more minutes here. There's a couple other questions. Um, so you, you've done a lot in life, right? Um, you know, different experiences, live different places, you know, interesting, you know, uh, upbringing and, and challenges along the way. Um, you know, what's one of the things that you are kind of truly grateful for uh, or that you didn't think I would say have, would, had a, would have a profound impact on your life, but did, right? You, you, as you sit back and start reflecting and you're like, you know, is there something that you're like, man, that that actually was, you know, I didn't feel it in the moment, but that actually, you know, really did something for me um, or, or things that you just kind of look back and say, man, that was a, that was an amazing experience. Is there anything like that that you can think of? Um, marrying your mother. I was about oh, uh, 22, just, 23 years old. You're trying to get some, some kudos, you know. Oh no, she's you, not even here. I told you, she's not even here. <laughs> so being a young person, you do the marriage thing somewhat because that's kind of like what's expected if you're with a woman for mm, a little while. Mm. And I dated or courted for several years before we got married. And um, uh, so I didn't know what that marriage thing looked like. We had examples, yeah. but they weren't always good examples. Um, so again, we had to make it the best we could. Then having children. Yeah. So it was marriage. And becoming a father and a parent. Yeah. Very, very profound on me because of the challenges of both of those things in, our, in my life, I relied on the Lord a little bit more and asked for his 
spiritual guidance. And that really, really helped me. Yeah. Um, because it's not easy, you know, but without him being in our lives, especially in my lives, I'm not sure how I would have been able to navigate and be where I am now with the semblance of, uh, of, uh, a good mindset and mm. health and things of that sort. That's good. That's good. Well, I had more questions, but you kind of, you kind of rounded that out right there. I, I like that. Um, so as, as we, I will say this, as we start our, as you've kicked off the extraordinary gentleman series here, um, and we're going to have a lot of other gentlemen and stuff like this, but if there was one thing that you could kind of say, um, you know, that, that you feel has been kind of the, the thing that you will say, hey, this is French Thompson Jr., um, either not necessarily be remembered by or known for, but your mark on the world uh, as an extraordinary gentleman. What what would you think that would be? There's a song that I like. And uh, it said, if I can help somebody. As I. Oh, man, lost my boy. <laughs> if I can help somebody as I walk along, if I can help somebody with a word or song, then my living would not be in, in vain. Um, that's really, and that kind of encompasses, as we were talking about with the fraternity, yeah. with the ROGC and with the, with the masonry, that uh, I, with my spiritual walk and my ministry is, is that I want to be, a, uh, uh, I want to be blessed to be a blessing. Mm -hmm. And if I can do that, even if they don't come closer to the Lord, but improve their aspect on life or their outlook on life, then I feel like I've done something. And that includes not only the, the perfect stranger, but people in my family, immediate family, my kids, my grandkids. That's my reward is that they understand my intent is to help them uh, in whatever they're doing and hopefully in a spiritual way. That's good. That's good. Well, thank you, Dad, for taking the time today. Thank you. No, I appreciate you. Yeah, I appreciate you uh, taking the time on Father's Day. I know you guys got some some things planned around our Father's Day, but I appreciate you taking the time and sharing your story. And I even learned a little bit more uh, that I haven't known for the past thirty eight years. So I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, as you know, and I think even Emerald said with her uh, podcast with you, uh, there's a certain phase in life, and you're just coming upon it. They're going to say, "What happened?" Yeah. So that that happened. That happened even with uh, with me, uh, because during the time that we got to Washington, D.C., and uh, it was between, I guess, middle school and you all going to college, it's kind of like a blur, mm. you know. So uh, you're coming up on that. And my my uh, I think that the best thing and you're doing it already is to take the pictures and the videos, because once you start relaxing because your kids are pretty much on their own. Uh, you'll see, okay, let me look back and see what happened. Mm. You know, and you need to do that so you can prepare yourself for that other spot of parenting because now the young adults are adults. <laughs> and that's a whole new dynamic when it comes <laughs> to it. But no, this has been great. Um, uh, like I said, this has been a very good experience um, and a blessing for me uh, to be able to spend time with you on Father's Day. Uh, I always go back to our father and son time when we went to... Uh, uh, that museum and uh, this is all things fine and gentry granted. we can talk about it we went to the jack uh, daniels museum my we, son took me to the jack daniels distillery. museum because he knew i liked we jack had daniels. to go down there to the distillery went down there to tennessee lynchburg tennessee walked the hall smelled mm. <laughs> matter of fact and after because this he knows i like jack daniels but the thing of it is is that 
it was a good father-son experience. Uh, yeah, uh, and, and it was that's been in my heart forever. And we got to do it again. Oh yeah, you know. No, so, no, uh, I have, yeah. I have, I have a whole uh, you know, four or five distilleries that I want to check out now. So, <laughs> I've, I've been, or, I've been or, or we can together. go on a, on a wine trail. Yeah, especially uh, over there since you're in California. Oh yeah, we can do wine but, trails in California. We can go back. No, yep, I, I need, yep, I need yep. to do Tennessee and Kentucky. We, uh, yep. you know. Shorty and I have already talked about it. We 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 got this yep. this whole whole thing planned out. So now we're looking forward to it. And I hope that each and every one of you all have enjoyed this conversation today as we've kicked off the um, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen series here. If you do like it, if you did enjoy it, please, as I said in the beginning, rate view, rate review, like, share, share it amongst your friends uh, on social media. We would love to be able to to retag and post it with you guys. And we hope that you all will continue to stay tuned in because these conversations will be awesome as we continue along the way. So we thank you all for tuning in and we'll see you after a while.